Come on, I want to encourage you to scroll or open in your Bibles to the book of Psalm, a couple of passages there, and then go ahead and hold a marker in Luke chapter 23. That's going to be where we land today. As we continue our series on vision, I'm diving right in, right off the top deck this morning. I'm not even holding my nose. I want to preach a message today. <laughs> Some of y'all just got a visual. <laughs> All right, so uh, I'm preaching a message today called Take It Outside. Now, some of you have heard that phrase, and it was not in a, in a positive atmosphere. Uh, I myself have heard that phrase in, in my BC days, which still means before Christ, no matter what the world tries to change it to. It, it's not before common era, okay? His name is Jesus, and we base the common era off of the coming of Christ. <laughs> By the way, we base eternity off of the coming back in Christ, so you better recognize that it was before Christ and after. Anyway, so it, I'm, at before Christ, my BC days, um, I heard the phrase a time or two, hey, hey, take it outside. Well, today I want to preach a message because I believe it's time that the church takes it outside, because what we do in the building is not going to be enough for the people that don't already believe. I want you to remember our vision, our vision for life is only as strong as our values in life. Let me give you a, a, a simple example here. I actually have a personal vision. I've written it down. Uh, God told Habakkuk the prophet to write the vision down. It's not a vision until you write it down. Until you write it down, it's just a hope. Okay, when you write it down, it can become a vision. By the way, it's not a value until you enact it. That's just another, a message for another day. Write it down. And so I, I asked God for a week, what, what is the vision for New Hope? Why are we here? Why am I here? And he said to meet people and grow closer to God together. That was what our vision. Everything revolves around that. Everything we do accomplishes that vision. For me personally, here's my vision for life. And by the way, if what God gave me resonates with you, then take it and make it yours. Don't reinvent the wheel. There's some good wheels out there, okay? Just take one. To live for God and to lead people to actually live for God as well. Like, that's my vision, personally. That's, that's why I'm alive. It's my purpose for life. 90% of people... If you ask them, 90% of, by the way, born-again believers cannot tell you why they are here on earth. I can tell you. I wrote it down. I, I repeat it. My purpose in this life is to lead people to actually live for Jesus. Because I've just been annoyed by semi-Christianity and casual Christianity enough in my life. So it's my life goal to lead people to actually live for Jesus. By the way, starting with my spouse, and, and that's a reciprocal relationship there. And then out of the health of that, my children, okay? And then out of the health of that, God's children. Next week, we're gonna talk about our second value, fostering family, because I can't minister to God's children, I can't minister to God's family if my family's unhealthy, and my children and my parenting are only going to be as healthy as my marriage. And my marriage is only going to be as healthy as I am with Christ because I am the bride of Christ. So I'm married to him first and her next. What happens to a lot of people is they, they don't just cheat on Jesus. They cheat on their spouse and claim Jesus told them to. 
Hey, by the way, side note, if they'll cheat on Jesus with you before you married, what you think they're going to do when you get married? See, everything, everything, I told you, we're not holding our nose today. We just, uh, everything, everything flows out of the health of your marriage to Jesus. Now, if you're single, everything flows right there. That's where, that's where everything begins and ends. But if you're married, you are one with somebody else. So you can't lead apart from your marriage. You can't even live for Jesus apart from your marriage. The only way that you can live for Jesus and lead other people to do the same is out of your... You can't lead apart from. Why? Because you're one. God said, I, I don't even see Chris and Megan individually. I see Chris and Megan. So I can only lead out of the health. My parenting is only as valuable as my marriage. My marriage is only as valuable as my relationship with Jesus. My vision for my children is only as valuable, only as strong as my values. With my, in other words, if my children see me lay down my values, then they will lay down my vision. We say it this way, same concept. Your influence is only as valuable as your integrity. I told you a story last week. I won't dig too much deeper. We, we spent more time on this last week. But in regards to my, my bride and my babies living for Jesus, because that's my vision for life, to lead people to actually live for, not say you believe in Jesus. I don't care what you say you believe. I, I, you, you show me your behavior and I'll show you what you believe. I want to lead people to actually live for Jesus because if you don't actually live for Jesus, the Southern Baptists, the Assembly of God, the Catholics, and the Pentecostals, Methodists, and everybody else all agree if you don't actually live for Jesus, you're going to hell. So it's really important that we lead people to actually live for Jesus. And the only way that we're going to do that is if we live for him ourselves because I can have all the influence in the world. But if my integrity does not stay ahead of my influence, then I will lose both. My children will lay down my values and my vision if I don't lead them in integrity. I lose my influence. I lose my influence. Listen, hear me, hear me. People are not leaving the ministry, 1,800 pastors a month, statistically. Leave the ministry, full-time vocational ministry. And, and some people leave, and, that, and that's okay. God leads them out of that season and into something else. They minister in other places. But 1,800 pastors a month are leaving the church, leaving the ministry. It's not because they don't know God's word. It's because they don't know how to lead people. Why is this generation not following Jesus? It's not because the people in the 80s and 90s didn't know the word of God. The people in the 80s and 90s didn't take the time to lead the next generation into the word of God. It's not because we didn't have access. It's because we didn't have application. My vision is only as strong as my values. My, my influence is only as valuable as my integrity. So last week, we said number one vision value for life for this church is to delight in Jesus. By the way, in my house, it's to know Jesus. They're synonymous. We just word them so that our children can understand. Psalm 37, 4. 
Don't get stuck in the deep end mud. Come on, Psalm 37, 4 this morning. English Standard Version. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I just wanted to bring this back up again because this morning we want to define what does it mean? What does it mean to delight in Jesus? I mean, that sounds really good. That's some really good Christianese speak there, preacher man. But what does it actually mean? I told you last week that this word delight, it means to soften or make delicate. So you become like a sponge instead of a stone. And he will give you the desires of your heart. This is probably one of the worst miscommunicated passages in all of God's word because it has been preached before that God will give you the desires of your sinful, selfish, ugly, deceitfully wicked heart. And that is not what God's word is saying right here. Okay, what it is saying is that when you delight yourself or you soften yourself in the Lord, then he will wash out those sinful, selfish, deceitfully wicked desires that are in your heart, and he will replace them with the desires that he, he will put in the desires that he has for you. So we delight in Jesus. We delight in Jesus privately, and we delight in Jesus publicly. You cannot separate the two. I'm not just married to her in private. I better be married to her in public too, right? Or there will be the wrath of the bride to pay, okay? I'm not just married to Jesus in private. I better be married to Jesus in public. Or there will be the wrath of God to... What you do in private, this is not in your notes. You'll have to write this one down on your own and let God speak to you. What you do in private will be seen in public. What you sow will make it spiritual for all the people that need me to use the scripture for everything I say. What you sow in private will be seen in public. Hey, good news. If you sow the right things in private, like you schedule a time with Jesus. If I ask you when you're gonna spend time with Jesus next week, you ought to be able to show it to me in your schedule. Because if he's not in your schedule, then you're not spending time with him. If he's in your schedule, if you make an appointment, it's the most important appointment that you can make in the day. And we schedule and make appointments for every other thing. Listen to me. You are sick scheduling an appointment with Jesus. He ought to be seen in your schedule. You need specific time where you spend time with him alone. But then you also need social time where you are seen spending time with him in front of everybody. We're going to get into it some more. Why? Because what you do in private will eventually manifest itself in public. It's going to happen. So what you do when nobody's looking is actually even more important than what you do when everybody is looking. All right, I'll keep going. So, here's a power phrase for you. I want to connect to my Savior, not my standard. The previous generation is not just disconnected from the standards. Our current culture is disconnected from the standard because they're disconnected from the Savior. When my children right now are completely and utterly under my authority, I am the husband, the spouse, the child of God. I have positional authority over my children. 
That means, by the way, I, if they don't want to go to church, they're going anyways. Did you know you can make your child come to church? God has given you positional authority on Wednesday night from 6.30 to 8.15 to bring your student and your child to his house with other people. Man, I don't want to go. <laughs> when did we start caring what you wanted to do? I don't want to go either. I don't want to go to work. Come on, somebody, but I got to go because he who does not work does not eat. That's biblical, not political opinion. Okay, so... I have positional authority over my children. By the way, the way I make them do something is just as important as what I make them do. Because Jesus does not want to be part of my activity. Jesus wants to be my identity. Activity is what I do. Identity is who I am. And Jesus doesn't want to just be a part. Well, I'm helping you today. Jesus doesn't just want to be a part of what I do. Jesus wants to be who I am. Not another activity, but my entire identity. That is what it means to be a child of God. So I'm willing to explain why to my child. But I don't want to just connect them to my standard even though I'm in positional authority, because right now I can make them do what I want them to do. And my children know that. I'm not really the biggest guy in the world, but apparently I'm a little bit intimidating, specifically to little people, because they will tell her things that they won't tell me. And she can have conversations with them that they won't come have conversations. I remember uh, not too long ago, her and Gabriel were sitting on the couch and, and, and little Chris was there looking at his mama and his mama was talking to him and he kept looking down the hallway like, woman, Emma, he's right there. Stop talking so, like, I hear you, mama, I hear you. But don't let him hear, why? Because I have positional authority. And so as long as I'm in positional authority, I can make them connect to my standard whether they want to or not. But listen, when the positional authority changes, the standard could change as well. And if you spend all your time connecting people to your standard, when that changes, then they will change also. But when you connect them to your Savior, that's why the number one value in our house is that they would know Jesus. And number two is to make him known because I want my babies to connect so intimately with my Savior that it doesn't matter who is in positional authority or whose atmosphere they might be in at that time. They understand that they are the light of God in the darkness and that they are there as a representative of the kingdom of God so they're ready to go at war with any standard that may come up against them because they're connected to the Savior. They delight in Jesus. So when the standard changes, they change us not because they're not connected to standards. So because we believe the word of God is as powerful as it is practical and as practical as it is powerful, if you want to delight in Jesus, we believe, number one, you need to read God's word. I believe, number one, I need to read God's word. You know what I get out of Sunday services? Some of you have heard me say this. I get tired this, didn't, this, does no, this does nothing for me spiritually. Like, I love to worship with y'all. And, and, and I love to preach. Like, it's fun. But I'm exhausted. I don't come to Sunday services to be filled up. I come to Sunday services to serve. This ain't about me. It's about you. By the way, if you've been doing this for any length of time, Sunday service ain't about you. You didn't come to just eat. 
This ain't no buffet. Come on, you are a waiter, you are a waitress. You're here to serve somebody else that's starving spiritually. That's why you come. That's why you become part of the body of Christ. Now, there are times where you just can't, so you can't stand, you need to be ministered to. We get that. But there are also times when you need to start ministering. Read God's word. I have to read God's word. I have to develop spiritually on my own. So we did seven days of fasting and prayer. Um, Every day for the last week, we're fasting for the fall. Our students, our teachers, our administrators, coaches, come on, superintendents. Thank you, Jesus. Principals, all of the people, the greatest mission field in the United States of America. We're sending missionaries out in the public school system to be a light for Jesus, to be an example for God. So we've been fasting and praying for them all week long. Now, let's transition. I challenge you to read your Bible every day for the next 21 days. Every single day. Well, I don't know what to read. No, you're not looking for what to read. There's a difference. Stop being lazy. I'll read it in a second and I'll make the point. 21 days. Version actually has a thing on it. That, uh, I don't know if uh, Snapchat stole it from Version or Version stole it from Snapchat. But some, some of our students have like streaks going on on social media apps. Okay, Version has the same thing. If you read your Bible every day, you can establish a daily, like a streak, like in a good way. Not a bad streak, like a good streak. <laughs> a good streak. A good streak for Jesus. Why is that so important? Watch. This is how important it was to the psalmist. Ready? Psalm chapter 119, verse 9. How can a young person stay pure? Isn't it interesting that our position with Jesus often begins with our purity in Jesus? You know why we have a generation of young men who don't understand who they are and young women who don't understand who they are? Because they're not pure in Christ. Because behind the scenes... They're impure in private. And now ultimately what's been taking place in private for the last 40 years is now manifesting itself in public. And standards in private are really just becoming exposed in public. Nothing's changed. Except for now, what was acceptable privately is being preached about publicly. How can a young person stay pure? Listen, you will never be confident of who you are in Christ if you're not pure in Christ when nobody else is looking. And the psalmist says, how can a young person stay pure? By obeying God's word. Not just being a hearer, but a doer. You know how important it is to read God's word? John, before he shared his revelation with the church, he said, blessed is the man who reads, hears, and reads aloud the word of God. That's how important it is to read God's word. Because if you don't read God's word, you're not even gonna know what the revelation is. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. This is, this is not a set of rules to stagnate a life. No, this is a covering. This is protection. Verse 10, I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. Why? Because I remember the consequences of the last time that I wandered from your command. And so instead of just having Jesus redeem and cover the scars of sinful activity over and over again, like I'm going to obey your word and walk with Jesus this time so that I don't continue to suffer from the consequences of not obeying the commands of God. Verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart 
that when the atmosphere changes, when the authority changes, when it's no longer conducive for me to celebrate, praise, worship, and live for Jesus, I'm still doing it because it's hidden in my heart and I will not sin, not just in front of other people, I will not sin against God. I don't want to disappoint my daddy. So I stay in his presence and I delight in Jesus. Hey, by the way, you can't hide something you don't have. And if you're not reading God's word, you're not learning God's word. And if you're not learning God's word, you can't hide it because you don't have it. So you continue to stumble in the same cycle because of a practical principle, just reading his word. Verse 12 says, I praise you, O Lord, teach me your decrees. Like, okay, I want to know the rules. <laughs> like, help me. Like, if I go to an amusement park, I want to know the rules. Right? If this thing's about to spin upside down, and it is a rule that I latch the latch right here as well. Like, if it's a rule that this thing isn't supposed to do this whenever I'm sitting in this roller coaster, I want to know the rules. Why? Because I would rather be faithful than fall. Because it's a lot easier to crucify my flesh than it is to recover from the fall. So I want to be taught your decrees. And, and in fact, I, I, I don't just want to hear them. I've recited them aloud, all the regulations you have given us. In fact, verse 14, I've rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your command. Now, isn't it interesting that he said, I've rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. And then he says, I will study. Well, I didn't really know how to read the Bible. No, 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 you're lazy. Because if I were to tell you, I'm going to give you a million dollars if you pass this test, you're going to go study for the test. In fact, if somebody were to come to me and say, hey, Pastor Chris, if you pass this test, I'm going to give you a million dollars. Here's the book. I'm sending an email to our board and elders and to our staff and saying, hey, guys, I'm taking a seven-day sabbatical. I have a test to study for. <laughs> if you don't understand that earthly riches are not greater, greater than an eternal, eternal word, then you're not going to study. See, it's just where you invest that shows what's actually most important to you. And the psalmist says, I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. Why? Because I want to delight in your... You can't delight in Jesus if you're not delighting in his word. Because in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So when you spend time in this book, come on, you are sitting with your Savior. Well, I don't know what to read. Just open it up and read something. Just pick a devotional. You know what I believe in? The sovereignty of God to speak right to where you are. Most people just don't do it long enough or often enough or consistently enough in order to actually hear what God has to say. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. We have access to God's word, but we're not engaged in it. Because you can have access all day long. But if you're not engaged, then it's not going to get in you. Come on, we engage in all type of activity. If your boss tells you you're going to get a promotion if you pass this test, we're engaged. Come on, if, if, if something significant is going to happen to you, earthly riches or temporary promotion, if you engage in this, you're going to engage 
But all of a sudden, we have access to God's word. We don't engage in it. And the Bible remains the most debated and argued over, yet least practiced discipline in all the church. Oh, we're good at debating scripture. We're good at arguing about it with other people that don't agree with what we say we believe in. We're just not good at practicing it when, we're, when they're not around. This generation didn't leave the church because the church didn't know the word of God in the 80s and 90s. This generation left the church because the church didn't know how to practice what they preached. They were good at arguing about it. They just weren't good at operating in it. Come on, somebody. So you can have access all day until you engage. Let me show you a picture of a survey. This is by backtothebible.org. We showed this actually in a series called Text, The Power of Four. I believe it was a year or maybe two years ago. I don't know. All the years have jumbled themselves together over like the last 48 months. Um, the, <laughs> this, this website, if you go to backtothebible.org slash research, you'll see this. The uh, Bible Engagement Network uh, has done research, and this is what they say. A key discovery from CBE, Christian Bible Engagement, uh, research is that the life of someone who engages in Scripture four or more times. Okay, hey, by the way, uh, 21 days to develop a new habit. Uh, if you miss a day, don't let the devil distract you and say, oh, well. Come on, oh, well means you're not operating in the spirit of excellence which ultimately means you're not operating in the spirit of God. The devil wants you to say, oh, well, and stop doing things that God has called you to do. God wants you to go, oh, man, repent and pick it back up again. Okay, someone who engages in Scripture four or more times a week looks radically different from the life of someone who does not. So I say aim for seven and hit four, because if you aim for four, you're only going to hit one or two. By the way, we provide two for you. You're welcome. Just because you're part of the church. Okay? Listen to this. In fact, the life of a Christian who does not engage in the Bible most days of the week is statistically the same as the life of an unbeliever. The life of an individual that does not engage in the Bible four or more, a majority of the week, so five to seven, days of the week, is statistically the same. And you can see it across the nation because unbeliever divorce rate is the same as so-called believer divorce rate. Unbeliever immorality is the same as so-called believer immorality. The same sickness is abiding in the house of God because we're not obeying the healer just like the unbeliever. But the reason that we're not obeying, the reason that we get stuck in the same cycle is because we're not hiding the word of God because we don't have it. We're eating once a week and expecting that to tide us over for an entire seven-day period. Some of you don't even eat once a week. You eat three times a month and you're starving to death. Spiritually, you look like a skeleton and you wonder why the devil is crushing you. It's because you're not reading God's word. If you just read God's word, blessed is he who hears and reads aloud this word. If you just read God's word four more times a week, then you are 230% more likely to share your faith. When's the last time you shared your faith with somebody in public? Oh, come on, I know you can speak in tongues. Congratulations. You're just evil in English. You know how to share your faith. Come on, you cursed your waitress or waiter. But did you pray for them? Did you witness to them? 
When is the last time? Who's living for Jesus today because you had so much of God's word in you that you just couldn't contain it? You became like Jeremiah. It was a fire shut up in your bones that you just had to share with somebody. You're 230% more likely to share what you have if you're spending time. You're 400, almost 10% more likely, and these are hundreds of thousands of people surveyed. You're 400% more likely to memorize scripture. In other words, you are actually more likely to remember God's word if you read God's word. Mind-blown emoji right there. More likely to remember God's word if you read God's word. 60% less likely to view or engage in private immorality. The secret assassin that is stealing the soul of this nation. Pornography. Did you know that pornography increased almost 40% last March and April when people were at home? You remember those times that you said you'd spend more time with God if you had it? That's a lie. In fact, as a whole, the entire world, specifically the United States, when they had more time, they just spent more time in sin. If you'll just read God's word four to five days a week, then you're actually 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness. Why? Because you know you're not alone. Come on, you can be like John, exiled on an island and know that you're not alone. Some more statistics, four days a week, the power of four. You're actually 60% less likely to engage in drunkenness. You're 70% less likely to be unfaithful in marriage before or during. Because intimacy outside of marriage is intimacy outside of marriage. It doesn't matter whether you are or are not married. Yeah, but I love them. No, you love them more than you love Jesus, and they are an idol for you. But if you just read God's word, four or more days a week, you're 70% less likely to engage in intimacy outside of marriage. And you're 70% less likely to be a horrible steward of your money and give it away to places like casinos. Reading God's word, boy, it gets a little thick whenever you start hearing some of the things that he says. You don't even have to hear it from me. You can hear it from him. Number two, you gotta worship God with your life. Worship God with your life. Listen, I love to worship like in song, praise, and, and, and sometimes even dance. And, and I have been seen running at times. I'm just, I'm emotional, man. Like, I'm not a lazy river. I'm a roller coaster. My wife can tell you, okay? I have to really struggle to be steadfast, stable, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord because that's what the Bible tells me I should be. I like to praise and dance and clap and shout and sing and sprint a little bit. I have been known to make an aisle and all the way around the back and come back to the front again. I've been there, Okay. In fact, I'll probably do it again in September when you're not around. <laughs> because in this worship center, I don't have a room full of spiritually mature people that understand what's going on. And it is actually selfish of me to be a distraction and call it divine. In this worship center, I need to be seen worshiping because I want to draw you into the presence of God. But when I worship to be seen, I distract you from the presence of God. 
And I don't want to be a distractor. I want to be a drawer. You know what I love more than my favorite songs? When my babies worship to their favorite songs. When a baby worships to their favorite song. You know how selfish it is to be so spiritually mature that you become inconsiderate of people that don't understand why they should look and worship and express the way that you do? Well, if they don't understand, then that's their problem. No, it's your problem. You're the example. You're the spiritually mature one in the relationship. Come on, you're the adolescent. You're the teenager. They're a baby if they're even born. They might be dead in their sin and you just distracted them because you called emotionalism anointed. No, no, no. You want to know what the most anointed thing you can do The most anointed thing that you can do is be considered of somebody who is only a potential child of God. So we should worship. And listen, when you're not around at the pastor's conference, I'm going to get my praise on. Because I don't just like going to church. I like having church and being the church. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this. That was a little heavier than I meant for it to be, but just Romans 12, 1. Dear brothers and sisters, New, New Living Translation. I plead with you. Hear the tone of the Apostle Paul. He's very pastoral in this passage. He says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Because worship is not about what you do in a set list. In fact, what you do in the middle of the set list should really just be a celebration of what you've been doing in society. Did you, you, I plead with you, Paul says, offer your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let your body be a living and holy sacrifice because worship is more than a song. Let your body be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Because worship is a lifestyle. We don't just worship in the temple. Come on, we worship as the temple. In fact, Paul goes on, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Do you not realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Did you know that what you do with your body, young lady, did you know that what you do with your body is even more important than what you do in church? Young man and elders alike, did you know that what you do with your body when nobody else is looking as the church is even more important than what you do as the body in the church? Because you don't go to church, you go to a building, you gather as the church. You're not in church, I'm not the pastor of a building, I'm the pastor of a body. In fact, this building is freaky when you're not in it. And Paul says, do you not realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? What you do as the church is as important as how you define going to the church. You don't come to church, you come to services as the church. Do you not realize your body is a temple who, by the way, lives in you and was given to you by God? I love this last part. You don't belong to yourself. So no, so no, you don't get to do whatever you want to. 
with your body because your body is not yours. Well, and we've had, uh, I was a youth pastor for long enough to know this question. Well, how far is too far? Well, where is the line? I don't want to cross the line. Where is the line? Here's where the line is. This is how far is too far. You went too far when you thought you reserved the right to ask the question, how far is too far? Your body is not your own. You were bought with a price, and his name is Jesus. And God has not changed his mind about sin when he remembers what he did to his son to purchase and pay for your sin. You don't belong to yours. You're not yours. You can't do whatever you want to. You can't dress your body however you want to. You can't look at so Well, it's just looking, preacher. I'm not hurting anybody by looking. Yeah, you are hurting somebody by looking. You're hurting your own heart. And you're probably hurting your house because when you're looking at somebody else, you're not looking at your spouse the way that you should be because you have an unhealthy comparison of reality to fantasy. And reality can never measure up to fantasy. So we have to look in the mirror and understand that we were bought with a high price. And Paul says, therefore, you must honor God with your body. Remember, I'm called to lead people to actually live for Jesus. And I care more about your soul than I do your feelings. You don't belong to yourself. Did you know that Jesus knows your passcode? In fact, he doesn't even need your passcode to know what's in your secret apps. Jesus knows every single download that is on the servers of Snapchat that you think disappeared. He has seen every single TikTok video that you have made and or scrolled past and stayed on too long. Jesus has access to every area of your life. Jesus knows your deleted history. By the way, a deleted history is a guilty history. And if you would like to see what people are looking at when they think they delete it, come find me or my wife after this service. I'll show you a special way to be sneaky on the people that you love. Because I believe that your anointing is tied to your accountability. And if the people in my house are not accountable, I'll be accountable for them. Did you know that Jesus knows all your recently viewed videos? And he knows what you've been binging on skin flicks. I mean, Netflix. <laughs> my mentor, my pastor, one of my best friends in the faith, he said this. Pastor Johnny Hunt, Pastor Weston's youth pastor in high school, he said, everywhere you go is where Jesus wants to be. And if you can't go with Jesus, then you shouldn't go. Whatever you do in my name, if you can't do it in Jesus' name, then you shouldn't do it. Come on, you can't delight in Jesus and in sin at the same time. You just can't. You have to choose. You walk with the Spirit, and therefore you do not gratify the desires of the flesh. You delight in Jesus. This is not about what you do. It's understanding that what you do ultimately determines who you are. But the good news is, who you are could determine what you do. If you would just let Jesus be with you everywhere that you go, privately and publicly. And know that Jesus is always around.
even when nobody else is. You don't get away with anything in eternity. Did you know the only reason that people do things is because they think they'll get away with it? How many times has the Eunice Police Department been robbed? You don't rob police departments. You don't get away with that. You get shot, okay? You don't rob from God. You don't cheat on Jesus and expect it not to affect your marriage. You don't cheat on Jesus and expect it not to affect your relationship with him. In order to be Christ-like and confident in Christ, we have to be in Christ. And you cannot abide in sin and in your Savior at the same time. But the good news is, when you abide in your Savior, you will come to a place where you refuse to abide in your sin. Everywhere you go is where Jesus wants to be. That's just the heart of a father. That's where I want to be. I don't like being away from my family. I mean, I'll travel. I'll spend some time away from my family. But it takes about ah, 48 hours or so. And I'm even ready to be back with my children. Some of you takes you a little longer. That's okay. No judgment. It's a judgment-free zone. You know, sometimes Megan's like 48 hours. I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm good. They can stay a little longer. <laughs> but I don't like being away from my children, my spouse, my family for too long. Why? Because I wasn't created to be away from my spouse, my family, my children for too long. You weren't created to spend as much time apart from Jesus as you have been. Everywhere that you go is where Jesus wants to be. Number three, this is where we're closing. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. You read God's word. You worship with, with your life and you pray without ceasing. Let me give you an acronym for prayer. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time with it. We actually practice this with our children, specifically the first four, because four is easier to remember than six. But I like the E and the R because there are some times that I pray that I forget to expect that God heard me and is answering what I just prayed. But when the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray, he started his prayer with praise. He said, Father in heaven, holy, holy is your name. You know what? When you praise God, it positions you properly to receive from God because you remember who he is and who you're not. That's why your prayer should start with praise. It's not a formula, it's just a framework. You operate in it, it's like musical theory. You can't just grab a guitar and start playing whatever you want to, sounds stupid. You gotta practice. You gotta learn some chords. You gotta learn some structure. Pray, repent, ask. What is repent? Repent means to change your mind. What you formerly considered okay, you now understand Jesus was crucified for and you're not willing to say that's okay anymore. You repent, you turn away from that and you turn to him. So you repent. And then you ask. Remember this morning, whatever you ask in my name, I believe you have not because you ask not is very tangible for this generation. Like I'm not just gonna give, I will give some things to my children, but there are some things I'm gonna make them ask me for. Why didn't you get me one? You didn't ask. And I wanted to save $3. I'm just saying. Because I could have bought a whole box full of them things that you paid $3 out of that truck for. Get in my truck. We'll go get a whole box. You ain't ask. Ask. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and petition, make your request. Ask. 
Just be willing to let him answer how he wants to, not how you want him to. And then this one's important, yield. I love this one. This is that weird sign, nobody knows what to do. This is where my, my prayer language increases when I'm riding with my wife and I see one of those signs. We're like, oh, Jesus, please don't let there be a vehicle coming in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because I just get, I get nervous, right? Here's all the yield sign means. I'm saving lives today. Come on. The yield sign means that you should let somebody else go. That's what it means. So when you yield before Jesus, because prayer is not just you bringing all your requests to God. That's part of it but it's also hearing from God and you yield. And when you get distracted, you just say, Jesus. Man, I'm communicating to a group of leaders at the district office this Tuesday. I'll be there all day. It's such a privilege talking about leadership and values and culture. One of the things I'm preaching, that's, I'm teaching this, this idea, the things I wish I knew. Like I wish I would have known 10, 15, 20 years ago. You know, one of the things, I wish I would have known how to hear from God. I've had to learn that. It's one of the things that we're training our children to do. Like we wanna help them learn how to hear. But you can't teach somebody something that you don't know. So you have to learn how to hear and expect and receive. These are in your notes. Your, your, your prayers can be three things. It can be structured. It, can be, it needs to be scriptural. And it can be spirit-filled. The Bible says pray in the spirit at all times. You need a structure, you need a framework. You can pray scripture. Jesus prayed scripture on the cross, Psalm 22 is, is where he got, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? He's praying scripture while he was on the cross. And then your prayer, your prayer needs to be spirit filled. I close with this today. When the, the Jewish people, specifically in the Old Testament, they understood God's presence to, to only be in a certain place, right? And this is what I've called prayer for years. Like I, I thought I had to go to a certain spot. I, I thought I had to get into a certain like mindset. Come on, you've done this. Well, I, I just stopped praying. I stopped reading God's word. I just didn't feel anything. Like, and so you go in, you're like, okay, Lord, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you. Daddy, stop. What? I'm praying. Okay, through Jesus, I'm back. I'm back in the name. And, and I, I think I got to get like in a certain state, mental, emotional, in order to sense God's presence, in order to feel. I separate God's presence from places. That's Old Testament. See, in the Old Testament, God's presence in the book of Exodus, it was bound to a place. The Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, so those people understood that in order to get in God's presence, they had to go to that place. In fact, as they continued in the Psalms, there is what is called the Psalm of Ascent. It starts with Psalm 120. The steps of the temple in the Old Testament, they were staggered, like the steps in my house. Why Pastor Weston tripped over them, trying to go too fast. They staggered the steps to keep people from running up to the temple because they understood that reverence was required for revelation. You might wanna write that down. They understood that reverence was part of receiving revelation. And so they would take a step and they would, they would quote Psalm 120. And they would take another step and they would quote Psalm 121. And another step and another step. And ultimately they would make their way up to the top of the temple and that was the place that they could spend time with God. Somebody just tried to kill me by not opening this ladder all the way. By the way, today in India, there's a temple on top of a mountain. The mountain is called Girna. 
And the people of India believed that in order to pray to this God, little g, it's a devil, in order to pray to this God, they can only pray and worship this God at this temple at the top of Mount Girna. In fact, there are 10,000 steps, 10,000 steps that you have to go through in order to spend time with this God, in order to worship and pray to this God. In the Old Testament, that was the case as well. But Jesus came and said, not so in the New Covenant. What Jesus said, according to the New Testament, is that the Bible proclaims that God didn't just stay on his throne and expect us to come up to him. In fact, he came down off of his throne. He made himself a little lower than the angels. He was obedient unto death, even death on a Roman cross. Jesus Christ got into the darkness. He got into your discovery. He got into your depression. He got into your sin. He was tested in every way and yet was without sin. He became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ bowed down in the dirt with the woman caught in the act of adultery. He got in the mess with the messy people. And the Bible says that when he was lifted up on the cross, as so was the serpent lifted up in the pole in the days of Moses, When Jesus was lifted up on the cross, he declared across all of eternity that it is finished. And according to God's word, the presence of God was no longer bound to the holies of holies behind a curtain in an ark. It was now available to anybody who would call upon the name of the Lord. Because when Jesus declared it is finished, the Bible said as high as that curtain was and as heavy as that curtain was, that it began began to tear from top to bottom because Jesus did not want to be subject to a place any longer. He was showing the world that it is time for the church to take it outside. In the passage, I want you to skip down to verse 47 of Luke 23, verse 47 for the sake of time. The Bible says, when the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what happened. This is not a Jewish person. This is not a follower of Jesus. This is not a disciple. He was the soldier responsible for overseeing the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Oh, come on. There's no sin too great. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution, saw what happened. He worshiped God. And he said, surely this man was innocent. He confessed because the presence was no longer bound to private or public. Come on, to scheduled or social. When we delight in Jesus, the people around us are destined to do the same. It's why we spent two weeks on our number one value, delight in Jesus, know Jesus at all times. Wherever you go, that's where Jesus wants to be. He gave his life for you. Would you give your life to him? I want to invite you to bow your head, close your eyes. Some of you 
need to answer the challenge. I'm not asking you to make a covenant. I'm just asking you to consider the challenge. 21 days reading God's word. You're not gonna walk in condemnation if you miss a day. You're gonna acknowledge your mistake. You're gonna repent. You're gonna pick it back up again. 21 days, for the next 21 days, we're gonna read God's word every day as a church, as a body, as individual children every day. Some of you are gonna walk out of this place and you're identifying right now an area of your life that is not worshipful. It's not full of worship and you're gonna change it. As practical as it is powerful, you're gonna make a a simple adjustment. You're gonna do something different that's gonna make a difference and you're gonna worship God in that area of your life and you're gonna pray without ceasing, privately and publicly. You're gonna look like Jesus. Right now, as the church is praying, every person that's confident that they're following Jesus, I wanna ask you to pray for anybody in the room that that lacks that confidence. Right now, if you are not living for Jesus, because that is my life's vision, if you're not living for Jesus, would you surrender your life to him? Would you truly surrender your all to him? If you're not living for him, If you've been living for yourself, if you've been living in sin, if you've been following your own desires instead of his will for your life, would you surrender, right? Would you give your life to Jesus today? If that's you, I wanna invite you to open your hands right where you are. If you're watching online, live or later, just open your hands right where you are. And the church is gonna join you in this declaration, this confession, this powerful prayer of a beginning. It's called salvation. And the Bible says whoever calls, just like the thief on the cross, just like the Roman soldier, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you call upon his name today? Come on, let's pray this together. Jesus, take my life, make it yours. Forgive me and cleanse me, save me from myself and my sin. I believe you died on the cross You shed your blood. I was bought with a price, but you were raised from the dead so I could be born again and made new. May I follow you with all of my heart in every area of my life from this day forward. I surrender all right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, can you give God praise today?